I'm Ashlyn Keenan and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, now in its 12th season and supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe brand in Ireland, made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. When I had my daughter, I wanted something I could trust to use on her skin and Water Wipes were, and still are, the one. I once made the mistake of trying a different brand never again. I did not realise just how much of a difference there could be between two fairly similar brands, but it was huge. My daughter is now two and a half and I panic if I don't have at least one pack of water wipes within line of sight. With that in mind, I'm happy to say this season is supported by that most essential of products for every mum, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2023, including Best Baby Wipes and Best Baby Skincare Essential, they are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Every Mum, the podcast. I'm Ashley Keenan and today's guest is Karen Ferguson. Karen is Head of Nursing and Clinical Services with Sims IVF. And I'll be completely honest, my knowledge of all things fertility and indeed infertility was minimal. That is before I spoke to Karen. We went right back to basics and discussed things like the stigma around talking about fertility struggles, what exactly is involved in egg retrieval, uh, common myths and misconceptions about fertility treatment, and also how to be sensitive to friends or family members going through an IVF process. We also talked about the legislation recently passed, which is, as we discuss, quite exclusionary to many people who are trying to conceive, and also how to handle workplace conversations around fertility treatment. It was so great to speak to Karen today and to learn so much during this episode, so I hope you learn something from it too. Ferguson, thank you so much for joining me today on Everyone the Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. Um, so I'm speaking to you today about fertility and all that might entail. And I, I have to admit from the start, I don't know a lot about um I don't know a lot about it. I don't I have no idea what my own fertility is like uh all I know is I have conceived a child and and you know I don't know anything about how my eggs are or how my womb is or you know anything along those lines so the questions that I ask you are probably going to sound to an expert quite basic but I think it's good to start at the beginning sometimes and just make things really clear for people so you know what what kind of what is your background, first of all, and in what ways do you, like, what kind of people do you see? And are they the same as me, having a clue what's going on with their fertility? Yeah, so um, I'm a fertility, I started off as a fertility nurse um, and now director of nursing with Sims IVF. So we have a group of clinics across Ireland. We see a broad range of patients. Majority of people that walk through our door are exactly like you, or they've been trying for a little while you wouldn't believe how many people don't have 
I could understand and which is completely normal you know it's kind of within our society that we don't have this um education whenever we're younger about all of these things and about our cycles and about you know we have very basic uh women's health or uh fertility education so it's not you're not on your own whenever and mm. um, you don't know these things so it's it's very common and it's 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 very normal for people to come through our doors and not have a great deal of an understanding about what they're about to embark on or to know what we're going to do but that's okay and that's what we're there for um and you know when people come to us they're taking the first step to find out a little bit more and that's all we can ask yeah and when when you for instance when you get a someone coming through the door to you what's kind of the typical starting point for most people is it a case where someone has been trying to conceive for a while and they they just haven't been able to they haven't a clue and they want to get tests started is that kind of the the typical case that comes through the door to you yeah generally it's a typical case we do see a variety of people so we see single people coming through who want to start Mm -hmm. a family we see people who have been trying for a while and and haven't had any luck yet we see people who have had a child already and thought it'd be just as easy second time around but it hasn't been and we've had people who are coming with multiple pregnancy losses you really see such a wide variety Mm -hmm. um but generally speaking the large majority of people we see are heterosexual couples coming to us who have been trying for a while or they, you know, are thinking about trying and want to get that knowledge um, and want to get those investigations done just to see where they're at and what their fertility health and their reproductive health looks like. Um, thankfully, it is becoming more common now that people want to get a good understanding of their fertility health before they start trying. Um, and often that's sometimes females coming by themselves, even if they are in a relationship or we very have to say we very rarely get men coming in by themselves, but we do from time to time. But generally speaking, it's a couple coming together who have either tried for a little while or are starting to kind of think about trying and they want to see you know, what their ovarian reserve is, what the semen analysis is like, if there's anything else they should do and what kind of pre preconception advice can we give them. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, I suppose, age profile, like I'm 35, about to be 36. And when I first attempted to conceive, I was 32. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I kind of, you know, I kind of assumed I would probably be okay. And, you know, I wouldn't have any issues, but I know more and more. And like, I've heard it from a lot of people. I know, like it, it almost it doesn't necessarily matter your age. Like obviously there's, there's a, a, like the chances of you conceiving without any issue or whatever lessen the older you get. But people, am I correct in saying that people in their early thirties can have fertility problems from the get go just, just because of who they are or what their bodies are made of? Yeah, absolutely. So anybody can have fertility problems. We do see it more common and more difficult to conceive the older we get. So as women, whenever we're born, we have all the eggs that we will ever have. So every time we have a period um, or every month that we go through, we do you know, our ovarian reserve year on year decreases. And that's that's completely normal. The ovarian res- An ovarian reserve for one person can be higher than another. And you don't necessarily just know that until you kind of start yeah. to have investigations. Yeah. Yeah. That's not to say that you'll naturally not conceive very easily, even with a low ovarian reserve because it all kind of comes down to the quality of those eggs um, and the quality of the sperm. And there's a few factors that come into it. Um, So people in their early 30s absolutely can have trouble conceiving. But generally, the biggest factor that leads to subfertility or people having trouble conceiving is age. It is the biggest factor 
um, whenever it comes to trying to have a family. So we're seeing it a lot more often now where people are struggling more because they're Mm -hmm. putting off having families. And, you know, historically in Ireland, people would have in the past would have had massive families and would have started very early and they would have, you know, had had families quite young. But that's just not the norm anymore. That's not that's not how society is. We're having more opportunities with our career. You know, we're having we're wanting to travel more. We're doing we're doing a lot more. And, you know, we, we often kind of have more disposable income. We don't want to necessarily start a family straight away. So all of those things definitely play into it. Um, and people are generally waiting and holding out that little bit longer to start a family. So if I'm, say I'm I'm struggling to conceive and I come to you, what are the kind of key things that you look at? So obviously you can test for your your egg reserve, I suppose. Exactly. Then you would yeah. test if if it's in the case of a heterosexual couple, you would test the sperm. Yeah. Um, are there any other, like any other kind of blockages that people have? Like as in, could my womb not be, you mm-hmm. know, in good nick or could, you know, what else yeah. can you kind of test for, I suppose? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So whenever a couple come to us, there's three main things that we need to look at for anybody to conceive. They need these three factors. So they need an egg, they need sperm, and they need the environment, which is the uterus. And that's where the implantation and the pregnancy happens. So they're the, the first three things that you would look at. Um, so for in terms of ovarian reserve, it's a simple blood test that gives us an estimation of your, your egg reserve. Um, what it doesn't tell us is the quality of those eggs but it does give us a rough guide of of the over of the ovarian reserve of a woman and then we would also do a scan so you can do a fairly basic scan or you can do a fair you know a more intrusive scan where we check the actual fallopian tubes as well so that would tell us you know if the anatomy looks normal if there's anything that could potentially get in the way of conceiving if there's any blockages within the tubes that can stop the eggs from traveling the whole way from the ovary down to where implantation happens um so we can look at all of that fairly it's fairly straightforward to do all of that it's you know it's a 20 minute um scan generally and then on the male side we would do a semen analysis as well you can again do more um in-depth tests which look at things like dna damage within the sperm if you if if it's needed. So, you know, there's, there's different steps of investigations that you can do, but as a kind of fairly basic package, those are the three main things that we would look at. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I actually, I think I'm probably in the same boat as a lot of people in that you think of, you know, problems conceiving, and then you think of IVF, which stands for in vitro fertilization. Are there other avenues you can go down like say for instance if I come into you and I have a low egg reserve or something is there like free IVF if you like is there like medication I go I can go on to increase my egg count or I know you can't increase your egg count but increase the I don't know health of my eggs or Mm -hmm. you know are there are there things that you can do before IVF proper if you like to yeah to to make things kind of optimal for conception absolutely and that's often what happens whenever people come through. Generally, okay. about a three-month period is a is kind of an ideal time to, to take these supplements and to kind of look at your preconception health. Health. Okay. Um. So whenever patients come through and they're starting this investigation, at that point, the doctor will give them lifestyle advice, health advice. You know, looking after their diet, making like asking them about um alcohol, smoking, making sure you know that there's. There's nothing there that could affect it lifestyle wise. Um, making sure that you're taking pre-pregnancy supplements 
folic acid is recommended for everybody who's even considering getting pregnant because it's such an important pregnancy supplement. Um, looking at your sleep, looking at your stress management, all of those things are all very important. Um, and in terms of kind of a step before IVF, just you know, just because you're having these investigations doesn't necessarily mean that you'll ever have IVF. You know, it's more getting that knowledge and being able to make that informed decision. There are other procedures, for example, if there's a single woman who isn't in a relationship but really wants to start a family, she could have treatment with donor sperm or she could have, you know, so it's called, there's a, a procedure called IUI that many that many women would have if they're using donor sperm, um, which is a bit less invasive, um, where they basically pass the sperm into the uterus with a, a very small catheter. Um, and that's a fairly standard step one um, but that's not necessarily the recommendation for everybody. And sometimes if somebody's able to have intercourse with their partner regularly, then they don't need to kind of do that step because it's not going to give them any more chance generally um, than what they could kind of manage themselves whenever they're trying at home. So, yeah, there are there are steps that can be taken before going straight to IVF. And it's recommended to take those, as I say, generally three months to try and kind of get yourself in the optimum position for going down the route of IVF because it's financially difficult. It's emotionally difficult. You want to kind of give it your best shot. Mm -hmm. So three months generally before um, treatment is kind of when you want to be optimizing your chances. And you were saying before about our lifestyle now, I guess, and like yeah. the fact that we have more disposable income and we are kind of particularly for women, we're, more invested in our careers than maybe 30 years ago and uh, we're starting our families later and that kind of thing um I would love to know about the process of egg freezing actually mm -hmm. because um friends of mine who are not in relationships or who are in the very early stages of relationships say and they're not in a position to have children yet or to try to conceive but they know that having a family is something they want yeah kind of the idea of of freezing your eggs comes up and I have no idea what's involved in that process and you know even the cost implication or you know do you have to rent space for your eggs or you know how does that kind of whole thing work and is it invasive and mm -hmm. you know what what are the kind of the processes that are involved there yeah so egg freezing is a way of preserving your fertility by storing your eggs for using them to use them in the future and it has become much more popular now for those same reasons that you know we discussed earlier um many many women just aren't ready to start a family or maybe they haven't met mr right or you know there's there's other priorities in their life um at that time unfortunately even with egg freezing there's there's no treatment that you can do to guarantee that you're going to be able to fully preserve your fertility and have a baby in the future but egg freezing is a good option now again i don't want to keep going back to age but the younger that you can do it the better because it better quality your eggs will be at that time and they literally are essentially frozen at that age so they'll be uh say you froze your eggs at 32 then you'll have 32 year old eggs down the road whenever you decide to use them so the younger they can freeze the better but being realistic that's just not practical for people in their early 30s they very rarely consider these things and again it's not something that's really talked about all that often although it is getting a little bit more popular but for the 
process of egg freezing, it would start off with a consultation with your doctor. Um, some people started off at the GP or some people come straight to a fertility clinic. The majority of fertility clinics in Ireland are self-referral. So you would just fill in a form online, make an appointment to see a doctor, and then um, you would have the consultation with the doctor. They would go through some investigations, again, scan, blood tests, generally fairly straightforward um, investigations to have taken. And then once a treatment plan for egg freezing is decided, they would sign their consent forms at that stage generally um, to store the eggs and to take the medications and to have the treatment. And then you would start a round of medications which stimulate the follicles that you have within your ovary. So the follicles in our ovaries are fluid filled sacs that have eggs in them. Normally, every month we would ovulate one of those eggs and the rest of them that are there within the ovary that month just get absorbed back into the body so they don't get used. So whenever you're going through an egg freezing or an IVF cycle, you're stimulating those eggs that otherwise won't be used anyway. So I often get asked whenever somebody's freezing their eggs, am I taking from my reserve? You're not. You're not using what you wouldn't have otherwise kind of wasted that month anyway. So that's always quite reassuring for people to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And then while you're taking that medication to stimulate those follicles in your ovaries, you'll have ultrasound scans and you'll have some blood tests to monitor how they're growing. So we want to see the follicles getting bigger until they get to a certain size. Um, And then once they do that, we'll plan the egg collection. During that process as well, so you'll take that stimulation medication to grow the eggs. We'll then generally introduce a second medication that keeps those eggs there. So your body's natural response whenever a follicle gets to a certain size is to release that egg and to ovulate. It's it's what it normally does. Um, but we, tr- we block that response by giving you a second medication so that whenever you have your egg collection procedure, all of the follicles are still there and they can be aspirated. So it's a day procedure. Generally, the procedure itself takes about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how many follicles there are to aspirate. And the eggs go directly into our lab. And then the lab look at them under a microscope and then they freeze them that same day. So as I say, it's a day procedure. You generally do your home within an hour or two afterwards. We get somebody to pick you up because you have sedation. <laughs> um, you can bring a friend or a family member with you for support if needed. So, you know, it is a fairly straightforward procedure, but you do need sedation for it. Um, and you are kind of discussed, you, you have you discuss the risks and sign your consent forms with the doctor beforehand. Um, and then you'll find out that day how many eggs they're able to freeze. That number depends on your ovarian reserve. So for some people, they might get, you know, between five and 10 eggs. Some people might get more. Some people may get less. And some people would have maybe a second cycle or a third cycle to try and bank up as many eggs as they can. But again, we have to think about the practicality and the costs and everything that's, you know, it's, it's a luxury to be able to do egg freezing, never mind mm. be able to have multiple cycles. So um, people obviously want to give it their best shot the first time that they do it. Mm. And then um, the eggs are frozen. So they're literally frozen in our lab. You don't need to rent the space for it. We keep them in tanks in the lab. Um, And yeah, then they're stored there until you're ready to use them if you ever need to use them. Now, there is a statistic out there. I can't remember the exact, but there's a huge percentage of people that freeze their eggs that never need to use them, which is obviously great. Um, But it's a massive number of people that actually store eggs. Very few of them actually need to come back and use them. Mm-hmm. But it is getting to be more popular. So I think in the next kind of 10 years, we will see an increase of people coming back to use them as well. Mm-hmm. And then when you do decide to use them, if you need to use them, you would come back either with a partner or if you decided you want to choose them with donor sperm, they would thaw out those eggs in the lab. And then they would, unfortunately, not not every egg 
may survive that process. Um, but for those that do, they would mix it with the sperm sample. And then they would develop into, <clears throat> excuse me, they would develop into embryos then, which they would transfer back to create a pregnancy. And I'd say the process of egg freezing is more of like a comfort blanket in a way for a lot of a lot of yeah. women, a lot of couples, just to know, okay, I'm giving myself the best chance if and when I do decide to get pregnant. Like I, I would imagine there's the people that see you for egg freezing are like, this is a a just in case kind of exactly. situation and, yeah yeah and I suppose that's something that it's you know it's our job to get that across them as well because you do have people not fully understand that it is it's not a guarantee you know and that's yeah. fair enough again it's it's not something that we talk about all that much and there is a lot more work to be done and um, to kind of promote education around that but mm-hmm. it's it's an option that we now have that we didn't always have and that the techniques are improving year on year and they're becoming more and more successful so it's something that I think we're going to continue to see a rise in. And I know there's there's some companies, especially kind of US-based companies now that are helping staff with kind of benefits and different things to freeze their eggs or to have treatment. So there is more of a conversation around it than ever before. Mm. At what point should, or I mean, should is, is not a, a great word to use, but like with, with your advice, at what stage of um trying to have a baby should a couple or a, a woman come to see you guys whether because because I'm trying I'm kind of thinking you know it, I was trying for maybe nine months to have my daughter and you know I, I then conceived and had a healthy pregnancy thankfully and it was all fine Um, I know people who have gotten pregnant the first month they started to try but then I also know people who have had a, you know a long time trying to conceive and then have had a miscarriage maybe Mm-hmm. So at what stage do you advise people to come in? And does that depend on age again or? Yeah, it does you know? depend on age. So okay. if you're below 35, mm-hmm. you know, I'll give it up to a year. Um, okay. This There's some people that that sits okay with and there's some people that it doesn't sit that well with. <laughs> yeah, so again, yeah, it's yeah. very individual. Knowledge yeah. is powers is what we try and say as well even doing the investigations and then try getting that reassurance and then trying for the year. And then if it doesn't work after that, come back and see somebody in the clinic and, and then look at looking at your options at that stage. But if you're over 35, the recommendation is six months. Not the, So if it hasn't happened after six months to get your investigations and potentially okay. have a look at treatment options. And in terms of pregnancy losses then, so say you are 32, 33, you're, you're on the younger side of things and you've had a miscarriage or maybe two or more potentially even it, you know is it is it worthwhile coming in in those instances even though you're that bit younger yeah. to just try and and see what the situation is and and can you kind of tell you know if those miscarriages were fertility related or is yeah. that does that even make sense yeah no it, it makes total sense we we do see recurrent miscarriages Mis- miscarriage couples come um to the clinic the unfortunate thing about miscarriage is you can't always pinpoint the problem. Sometimes you can, but but oftentimes you can't. And that's mm-hmm. what makes miscarriage so difficult is that there's a variety of reasons, but it's it's there's nothing that you can kind of pinpoint and change generally, or a lot of the time there isn't that one thing that you just need to change and that'll mean that it won't happen again. Do you know, so it's it's a really, really difficult one because there isn't always just a magic answer for 
for why they've happened and and how to prevent it another time. There are some, but um, generally speaking, you know, apart from some of the investigations that we can do, there's very little after that that can be done even with treatment. Mm. That must be incredibly difficult for a lot of people that, that come into you guys. It is. And look, we've seen people, unfortunately, have miscarriages even after having IVF, which is so difficult as well. Any miscarriage is absolutely heartbreaking. But, you know, patients who have had gone through their treatment and then got to that positive test to then have a miscarriage, it's just it's just absolutely heartbreaking for them. So even with having IVF treatment, miscarriage is still a risk, unfortunately ectopic pregnancy is still a risk pregnancy loss generally is still a risk of treatment in any pregnancy so that's another thing that I think is kind of misunderstood that if you have fertility treatment it it unfortunately can't reduce it can't in all cases reduce um, fully the chance of having a pregnancy loss. Hmm. I hadn't until very recently heard the term secondary infertility so I I just I heard someone talking about it in passing and I googled it and I looked and kind of saw the basics of what it is but for people who don't know what secondary infertility is could you give a bit of an an explanation yeah so secondary infertility is whenever you already have a child or children and you struggle to conceive again so it's one of it's, it's such a difficult thing to go through more so in terms of Kind of people making assumptions and people making comments and people just making this assumption that because you already have a child that you can get pregnant you know you get mm. all the questions of the day <laughs> um, about when are you going to have another child when are you going to you know give them a sibling so we do see that a lot and that's really really difficult for people so basically whenever somebody already has a child or whenever they have children and they're struggling to get pregnant another time is is what secondary infertility is defined as and and if conception the first time was, for want of a better term, normal, mm-hmm. what happens then to cause infertility for the, the consecutive pregnancies or the ones, you know what I mean? What Does the fertility state change? Is it always an age thing? You know, what, what kind of happens in the interim to cause problems? Sometimes nothing. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes mm-hmm. they you know they just they got pregnant the first time and now they're struggling the second time the same way somebody else may struggle to have their first child um and then again if age is a factor then sometimes you may have found it a lot easier to have your first child if you do that whenever you're in your 30s and you try have a baby by the time you decide to have another baby you're that little bit older and and sometimes that can just make it that bit more difficult than what it was the first time um so it is it's such a difficult thing to go through and it's something that so many people don't realize can happen um, and pe- patients say it to us all the time they say well I had my first child so quickly and so easily like how is it not happening so quickly the second time and um, so it is it's a really difficult thing to go through is it true this is probably a myth um but you know that old thing where people say if you so say there's there's I don't know there's two pals and one pal had a child when they were 32 and then they're trying to have another one when they're 38 and mm. the other pal is having they're trying to have their first child at 38 will it be easier because the you the person had is having their second child later like as in I'm, pro, I'm not explaining myself well but there's this kind of myth I don't know if it is a myth but that if, if it's easier to conceive later in life if you've already been pregnant before do you know what I mean 
Yeah, it's it's not really true, unfortunately. Okay, okay. No, that's that's good to know. Yeah. It's good because that's a, that's yeah. something that that is bandied about. You know, people do yeah. say those things, so it's good to know that that's not true. That's not the case. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not that straight cut, unfortunately. Even if you do have a child, it doesn't necessarily always mean that the second or third will come as easy. And it's not just a second child. We do see people have two pregnancies and then just really really struggle to get pregnant with their third and potentially need to have IVF treatment for their third child so um it is it's very difficult to go through for those for those couples this podcast is just one way that every mum supports you another amazing way is our free gift bag packed full of essentials for you and baby including free samples of water wipes the number one baby wipe in Ireland to receive yours register now on everymum.ie there's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. I'm interested to to ask about the myths and misconceptions around infertility or fertility in general and doing yeah. IVF and those sorts of things. One of the ones that crops up all the time is that, you know, if you do IVF, you're going to have twins or triplets or quadruplets or, you know, whatever, a multiple pregnancy. Is that true or false or where There's- where? truth in it okay. <laughs> there is some okay. element of truth in it okay so basically back in the back at the beginning of IVF it was completely normal to transfer more than one embryo and um, so they would have transferred multiple embryos at one time put them all back hope for the best and um, so that obviously once you transfer back one embryo you have a chance of having a baby so if you transfer more than one you have a chance of getting more than one baby so that's not common at all anymore um so generally people would have one embryo transferred and the risk okay. of having multiple pregnancy now is very low with IVF you know it's it's not much higher than having um twins through natural conception so okay. it, it's co- there is some truth in it and that's where it comes from but now you know there's a lot of um standards of practice in place to stop that from happening and we kind of have a duty of care towards um any pregnancy and any children born of preg- from pregnancy, if, sorry, from IVF, and to that mother to kind of give her the safest possible treatment. But we get asked all the time if we can transfer three embryos at one go just to kind of give me the best chance. We can't. You can't, <laughs> um, okay. We, no, we can't. <laughs> now, there, in some cases, they will transfer two embryos. Okay. Um, but again, that patient needs to be informed that there is a risk of a multiple pregnancy or with twins here. Um, and you can have, transfer one embryo and if it splits, you can still have twins. So you can never fully rule it out, even with the one embryo. Okay. And if if someone comes to you and says, no, stick three in there, like I really, I want loads of kids. <laughs> you just, you, you no. can't. Okay. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. And, and is there anything else, like, um, obviously there's those kind of lighthearted myths and things, but is there any other kind of misconceptions about fertility or IVF or the whole, that whole process that, yeah you kind of like you kind of have to dispel those myths when people come into you I'm sure there's all sorts of you know misconceptions and kind of half truths that you see Mm -hmm. and what are some of the common ones the biggest misconception out there and this is both from patients coming in and just from talking to my friends talking to people who hear my job and ask me questions about it the majority of people just think that it's a woman's problem and they just think it's a female issue only and that's mm-hmm. just absolutely not the case. Um, and that's, you know, again, whenever people come to us, they don't 
always think about, you know, what the problem might be. But again, majority of people do just make this assumption that it's the female problem. It's a female issue. There's more than likely going to be kind of some sort of female factor there. But about 30% of subfertility is caused from female factors. About 30% is male. And the rest is either kind of like a mix of both or or you, you don't really know. Um, so that's a huge misconception that people think that it's a female only problem when it's mm-hmm. absolutely not. And, you know, fertility itself is a taboo subject. Men's fertility is even less spoken about. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't hear yeah. you don't hear it spoken about enough. You don't hear it spoken about at all. And we often find that that can be really, really difficult whenever a couple come through for treatment and they do find out it's a problem with the sperm. Then they're nearly at that point then starting to kind of grieve what's happening. Whereas with a woman, often they're nearly the the driving force to get people to, to get the couple to the clinic in the first place. So they nearly have this element of acceptance that it's on them. And then when they find out all their investigations are normal, but there's a problem with the sperm and that could be the issue. That's often then very difficult for, for the, the, the males to kind of come to terms with and to understand. So that's a really common misconception that we have. And probably, probably the biggest one um, that we would have. Apart from that, a lot of people don't really understand why it is such a taboo subject and, and you know, why so people talk, few people talk about it. Um, and I think that's something that again is slowly changing, but there's a lot, there's a lot more that needs to be done. We are getting there. They're talking a lot about a lot more about um, you know, politics are getting involved uh, involved with with different parts of, of uh fertility related conversations, which is great. The first time ever we have got funding from the HSE for IVF treatment. It's never happened before and it took a long time to happen. So, you know, there is there is elements of it that's changing but it's just you know it takes time on the subject of the funding from uh, mm-hmm. the HSE there's been so many kind of reports and and I suppose feedback that it's quite exclusive exclusionary and it it kind of eliminates a huge portion of the population have you guys experienced that? Have have people come to you thinking that, oh yes, I'll be eligible and actually I'm not? Or how yeah, has that been absolutely. for you? Mm. Yeah, and we spoke I spoke quite a bit about it at the time before the legislation was announced because it was just it took it took a long time to kind of get the actual criteria announced that people were holding off starting a family or having treatment or they were waiting to see if they were going to be eligible for this funding and then whenever it was released, a lot of people weren't and they've wasted these two years waiting for this announcement and waiting for this funding to come whenever they, they were, it turns out they weren't eligible at all. So that was, that was really sad for a lot of people. Um, it is a start and look, things often start like this with policies and with new guidelines, they often start narrow and then have to expand. And that's, that's the hope. It does eliminate, you know, the use of donor eggs or donor sperm. So, you know, that's same sex couples getting nothing unfortunately from government mm-hmm. for fertility treatment and um, there are age restrictions as well so a woman needs to be less than 41 years old um, they can't have had more than one cycle of IBF already so you know there are there are criteria there is criteria there that's fairly strict mm. um, and then there's also a very kind of clear set pathway that people need to go through to get to the point of getting this fertility treatment so that 
-hmm. would mean going to your GP first, having those basic investigations there. Once they've kind of done all they can do, they would refer you to a fertility hub, which will be generally in your local area. And then they'll do more fertility investigations there. There's a bit of a waiting list from time to time for these, depending on where your area is. So, you know, there are delays along the way, but for those that do qualify, it's fantastic. It is great. And it is it is a, a really good start. Um, but it does need you know further development and it does need people to keep talking about it and for people to keep giving their feedback on it because that's the only way it'll kind of evolve and change Mm -hmm. aside from the kind of legislation side of things um the conversations around IVF like you were you were mentioning that it kind of still is a bit of a taboo subject I think to be honest as far as I'm concerned anything to do with sex periods reproduction sperm like I don't know what it is in Ireland. We're just, we're not, we're not there yet in a lot of cases for, you know, we're not there for those conversations. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure why, but do you think the stigma that's around it, that taboo is changing and what, if anything is kind of helping that change to happen? Yeah, I do think it's changing. I do think it is definitely getting there. It's, it's a very private thing for a lot of people. And, you know, we we really do try and encourage people to have these open conversations and to talk about it to your friends and your family and tell everybody, you know, spread the word and, and, and talk really open about it. But that's, you know, it's very easy for me to say that as a healthcare professional working in fertility and, you know, very used to it and very it's very normalized to me. Yes, yeah. But for people going through fertility treatment, the last thing they'll want to do is talk to somebody about it and then get asked a question whenever they're having a bad day or they don't want to talk about it so there is there is that element of it where it needs to be talked about but people need to feel supported to do that so what generally we would advise people to do is to talk to your people you feel safe with people you kind of have that support network around you or you know communicate you have open communication with them tell them what your boundaries are speak to your partner as well have a conversation with your partner about how to manage these difficult questions whenever they come up and whenever they're out and they get asked when they're having kids and you know how do we manage this so that we don't get upset because those those questions are just you know they come at the worst time and if somebody's struggling to have a family or they're you know throwing all their savings into having treatment and people are just blase asking them these comments or giving them this unsolicited advice you need to kind of have your barriers and your boundaries in place as a couple to know how to manage that and how to tackle it there are um, there's some unbelievable counsellors out there in um you know some of them are linked to fertility clinics or some of them aren't that um are really good to talk to so I think you know having counselling and having therapy is fantastic but again we're we're getting there but we're not we're not great at that either <laughs> we're generally yeah. not, as a country not great at talking unfortunately and as I've already said men are even worse you know they are even even more closed off especially when it comes to fertility because you know it's their it's their pride and it's their manliness and you know a lot of the time it is really difficult for them to kind of start that conversation but you know a lot of people do find that once they start to have that conversation they'll say oh yeah you know my friend also is going through the same thing or so-and-so's going through the same thing with his wife so it's just kind of breaking down those barriers and breaking down those walls to get to the point where people do feel comfortable to talk about it but as I say, it, it, can, it can be really difficult whenever you're actually in the middle of it. Of course. I think if you're in the middle of it or if you're 
at the start of it or if you're having just trouble conceiving in general, it's obviously incredibly private and incredibly difficult thing. And so, you know, encouraging conversation is is easier said than done, obviously. But, you know, is there anything when when you're advising, you know, patients who come in to see you, is there anything that you kind of advise or any way that you you kind of guide them in terms of talking to family and friends and and how to encourage people to to speak about fertility and and conception and you know journeys of, of this type with sensitivity and with empathy like you know how do you kind of foster that same uh, sensitivity around that issue yeah and for us it's important to speak to people about their support as well so they obviously have great support you know with the nurses and the doctors and people that they see in the clinic who know what they're going through but outside of that you know we need to kind of figure out do they have that support system there outside of the clinic um we often refer people up or we really strongly encourage counseling but it's not mandatory a lot of people do to do it and get great benefit from it and that's not necessarily after a negative result either you know that's at any stage of treatment or before treatment or just to kind of prepare yourself for going down treatment or just for trying to conceive even if you are having those struggles um having those conversations and being able to kind of have that coping mechanism can be really helpful for people. One of the big issues that I find whenever I'm talking to patients is the workplace and about, you know, I've met so many people who come in to me and they say they haven't told their boss, they haven't told their manager because they don't feel comfortable telling them about it because there aren't those policies there. There aren't, there isn't that support there to kind of make them feel supported. Um, I've had patients say to me, I can't, I can't say because, you know, I won't get my next promotion or, you know, I'll be, in some way discriminated against um which is awful you know and it's it's that's that's a massive that's a massive thing because if you don't have support from the people that you're working with every day you have to try and take annual leave for appointments you might have to you know lie about what where you're going what you're doing taking your injections in the toilets and the cubicles you know hiding everything there's some medications you know that we have to keep in the fridge so even those tiny little things that you don't really think about they have such a massive impact on your kind of day-to-day life. So if you just have even that one manager in work or that one person in work that you can turn to and feel supported with, then it would make a big difference. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, the terrible questions that people get asked, the inappropriate questions, the probing questions about, you know, like I have one daughter and she's nearly three and I can't, I can't keep count the amount of people who have, who've asked me, you know, and I don't take I don't take offense, but I know if if I was going through IVF or or struggling to conceive, I would I would be very hurt by some of the questions. Is there anything is there any nice way to say shut up? It's none of your business <laughs> when it comes to those kind of questions that can be incredibly hurtful. Yeah, I mean, what I said earlier is definitely having that conversation with your partner, if you have a partner um, about kind of what your boundaries are. And what kind of nearly preparing yourself for how you're going to tackle these questions. The, the worst is at weddings with aunties and uncles, you know, you're next. <laughs> um, that's the biggest one. And kind of family event. People mean this people mean absolutely no harm by these questions in a large majority of the cases. They're not trying to upset people. They're genuinely want wondering and they genuinely want to know when, you know. That it, it, that's why it's so difficult. It can catch you, you know, whenever you're just least expected, whenever you're not expecting it at all. 
mm-hmm. um to see sure, I got married last year <laughs> so it's the same the minute you get married yeah people are asking you and you know what yeah, a lot yeah. of my friends are starting to have children now and and people are they're asking you know all the time you you, mm-hmm. you know um so there there isn't a kind of right or wrong way to answer it I think whatever you're comfortable with there's going to be some people that you're going to be comfortable to say look actually we are trying but it's just not been as easy as what we thought it would be or but there's going to be some people you, you don't feel comfortable <laughs> saying mm. that to so mm. you know what we're trying to do is to educate people to not ask those questions or just to have a bit of sensitivity generally not only about this but like just generally you never really know what somebody's going through and what what somebody's dealing with and um, so just kind of treat everybody with a bit of compassion mm-hmm. and is there any way so in in the instance where you might have a friend or family member and you know that they're in the process of doing IVF or they're having trouble conceiving or they're going you know start starting the process of investigations or anything like that is there like you know you'd almost if if you're aware that that's happening as a kind of concerned family member or friend you do want to check in and say well how are you getting on how are things yeah but you're, you also don't want to cross the line, you know, into into being too nosy or asking the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. What yeah. way would you advise people if they if they know that their you know their friend their family member is in the process of doing something about their um you know trouble conceiving? What yeah. is kind of a way that you could approach that that would be sensitive to what they're going through? If you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is communicate with them and ask them what how they want to be supported or if there's anything else that you can do to support them actually something a lot of patients actually say that they just wish people would stop trying to just make them feel completely better you know you just they just want to be listened to they just want to be heard they don't want the butcher you'll be grand whenever this happens you know you'll be the 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 positive the overwhelming positivity sometimes just really isn't helpful and it's not what they need it's not what they need it's not always realistic and although again that person is trying so hard to be there and support them and they mean well by it it's, it doesn't always help you know mm-hmm. they're in a, if they're in a bad place they don't just want the unwavering optimism all the time they just want somebody to say oh I know that's really tough or you know is there anything I can do for you do you want me to you know help out in another way so sometimes even just, you know, practical tips can be can be very helpful. So avoiding basically saying things like, oh, you'll be fine. You're still young. You have loads of time, yeah. things like that. And Absolutely. just being like, is everything OK? I hope you're handling this. Can I yeah. do anything for you? Can I make you a cup exactly. of tea? <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it. Because there's there's nothing you can really say that's going to make it better a lot of the time, unfortunately, except offering that support. You know, so it's it's a tricky one, and sometimes people do just it's it's our natural, you know, it's just our natural response to try and make people feel good about themselves and to try and make people feel better. But a lot of the time, in this case, the best thing to do is just listen to them, let them speak, let them vent, and just be a, be a listening ear. Mm. The last thing I want to ask is just about kind of the the cost implications, I suppose, and the like I have this disconception and I don't know if it's right or wrong that going through IVF is incredibly expensive first of all but also um quite invasive or quite kind of physically taxing Mm -hmm. on a woman's body in particular less so on a man's body but 
you know, the injections, like you were saying, or the medications that you have to be on. And um, if it seems like it would be a very physically challenging thing to go through, is that correct? And how, how do you help people through that? Yeah, it can be mm-hmm. for some people. Um, and, it, and it depends, you know, what type of treatment they're having, what kind of medication they need to take and kind of um, there, there are kind of variations in responses. So other people are actually, some people are really affected by hormones and some people aren't as affected by them. So it, it's, there isn't a kind of a set response for every person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Treatment generally is taxing in so many different areas. It's physically can be quite difficult. Some people absolutely could think of nothing worse than having to give themselves an injection every evening, you know? Mm-hmm. So even small things like that, those physical little things that people can help them with can can be a huge can be a huge thing you know so it's physically difficult because of the injections that you're given because of the appointments you have to attend you know you have to make yourself available for calls all the time from the clinic sometimes um it's demanding on the body because you're going through those injections and you're having to kind of a lot of the cases hide it from the people around you um it's emotionally very difficult because you know there's a lot invested into it, both financially and, you know, with your time and with your emotions. Um, and then it's expensive as well. You know, IVF, as I say, it's government funded for some people, for a small group of people, but a lot of people don't get that funding and have to fund it themselves or borrow We do from other people. Do you know, after, after a certain amount of time, you do hear people starting to have to borrow from family and friends. So it can be incredibly can be incredibly difficult whenever it gets to that stage and so you advise counseling for those reasons absolutely yeah 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 and Um, we advise it from the start because you don't you know some people you you may have been trying for two years before you even step foot in the clinic so there's people who would have counseling even before they even start having IVF you know so there's no right or wrong time for it it's always helpful, in my opinion, um, or even try it, have one session. If it's not for you, that's that's absolutely fine. You know, but we do we do encourage it. Um, it's not mandatory for having IVF treatment, but we, we do try and encourage it as much as possible at all stages of treatment. But then, you know, especially with if you do get a negative result or you do get a negative outcome, it could be useful at that point as well. Is there any... Is there any sense or does it make any sense at all for someone in their, say their late 20s, early 30s or anywhere in their 30s, I suppose, who hasn't, you know, hasn't tried to start a family yet, who isn't trying to actively have a child? Is there any kind of sense in someone in that position getting ahead of the game by finding out what their fertility lay of the land is, if you like, or Mm -hmm is it more so just you just wait until you're having problems you know like is there any benefit to getting ahead of things and going in and just by yourself going okay check my eggs check my womb you know what's the situation here and like do you advise that or is that almost just giving someone potentially giving them bad news before they need to know it do you know what I mean yeah, you might be giving them bad news, but it's the you know it, it's still news that they can act on, and you know it's still being yeah, able to give fair. them that, give them that power, and you know to make that informed decision about what they want to do next, and give mm. them their treatment mm. options. Um, so we do see people, especially females, come in and kind of try and assess what their ovarian reserve is like and what their chances are. 
you can never give any guarantees regardless but again it's about being able to make that informed decision about what to do next and that next step might be absolutely nothing um which is ideal but for some people if they do find out that things aren't as as good as what they would have hoped then they might start to think about egg freezing or they might might start to think about having treatment with donor sperm you know if it's something that they know they absolutely want to be a mother more than anything else it can change their mind frame and it can just prioritize things for them mm-hmm. whereas they may have just never really thought that as much before they would have said, like I do want to be a mother eventually but not you know not yet but you know once you kind of find out you might need to start looking at things sooner rather than later your priorities can start to shift a little bit and as well just having that reassurance for some people is enough you know mm-hmm. so or if there's a problem there how you know how to start tackling that from an early uh, earlier on and that again you can make that those informed decisions about what you want to do next Mm -hmm. so if you're someone who's in their late 20s early 30s who's absolutely definite about having a family or or that's something that they really feel strongly about there's no harm getting those tests done just to have the information have all the information to hand kind of exactly have the information to hand. You don't have to do anything with the information. It's just having that. Again, it's not practical for everybody in their 20s to be able to do this, you know, again, financially. Um, so I know it's not practical for me to say everybody should do it, but if you're in the position to do it, then absolutely. I think it's a great idea just to kind of get an idea of where you're at. And that can change. You know, that doesn't mean that you're set for life just because it's good whenever you're in your 20s. You know, so it's just to kind of, get that information and to be able to have a conversation with a professional about it, get their advice, go away and think about it. Again, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to have treatment. You can just have investigations. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I'm absolutely, I've, I've taken down so many notes and normally when, <laughs> normally when I'm interviewing, I, I take down notes for practical reasons, you know, times that are, you know, I need to do bits and pieces, but I actually have notes here for myself. I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so thank you so much uh, for joining me. Karen Ferguson from Sims IVF. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, this was a super interesting episode and I know there's going to be a lot of people listening that take a lot of um, kind of good from, you know, what you've said and, and the kind of advice that you've given. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much for listening and to Waterwipes, the number one baby wipe brand in Ireland, for their support. Their wipes are made with just two ingredients, 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. And they are plant-based and plastic-free. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate, or if you have time, we'd love a review. You can share this episode across social and get in touch with me or this week's guest. Our handles will be on the Every Mom Instagram page.